We indeed live in remarkable times, times that are marked by crisis. Crisis surrounds us, corona, clima and conflict. Yes, crisis literally surrounds us as Norway has border with Russia. And of course, that because Norway delivers over 20% of Europe's gas. Today, I'm very honored to have the CEO and Executive Director of UN Global Compact in the world, Sandor Jambo. Welcome to us. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Kim. It's great to be here. We are going to talk about the future of business, but also the times we are living in. I started out saying that these are remarkable times uh, for better and for worse, because there's so, so many business opportunities. And But at the same time, we, we see all the the crisis we didn't foresee just a couple of years ago, right? So I just want to then start out with that. But what are your perspectives on this? And what are the trends? How do we meet a, a future that is so uncertain? Right, you're right. I mean, these are definitely un- unprecedented times. I mean, who would have thought that just over two years ago, a tiny virus would have literally brought, first of all, brought all the world's attention to the virus. Secondly, really demonstrated um, the inequalities, but yet the opportunities that exist. And now in the current times, you know, sitting at the at the brink of a war that, you know, uh, we can see the short-term impacts in terms of, of the deaths and the destruction, but also facing what are possible much longer-term impacts in terms of energy security and food security and, and really peace, you know. Um, it certainly is unprecedented times. Um, I probably think at this point in time we have more civil strife and conflict ongoing in the world than we've ever had before. Um, Our eyes are trained on Ukraine at the moment. Um, At the same time, we have ongoing crisis, uh, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, um, the Sahel, Ethiopia, there's many areas. So there's, there's a lot of turmoil. Um, and if you look at really, you know, what this means for, for business, again, it's, it's one of challenge and opportunity. I mean, obviously, business needs a stable environment to thrive. But at the same time, and what we're seeing globally is that now more than ever, business is being called to the table to really contribute to a lot of societal problem solving and societal transformation. So whereas I agree, we're definitely in challenge times. Um, you know, a lot of business leaders that I speak to and certainly uh, looking at really what the call to action of the SDGs is, is that now it really is an opportune time for business to demonstrate, you know, the innovation, the technology, the problem solving, the, the, the people focus and really seeing what business can bring to the table. And I think, I mean, like you're saying, it's, it's a twofold development, right? Because on one side, we have seen, we used to say that, uh, the amount of children starting the school has uh, that they're not starting in in school has been half. The amount of girls that start in school has that doesn't start in school has been half. We have half the extreme poverty in the world. Uh, you know, we there were all these great numbers from 1990 to 2019, mm-hmm. uh, right? So we had a fantastic development around the world. Uh, child uh, mortality going down by you know 50 to 60 percent. Really, really impressive numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now many of these things are, you know, under pressure. We we see that peop- the amount of people going hungry to bed is going the wrong direction. Uh, we see also that extreme poverty is going the right or uh, wrong direction for the first time since the 1990s, the first time in 30-something years, right? So, so, so as a UN head of a UN uh, organization, how... How 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 do you get inspiration to get every morning and tell tell everybody we're gonna do this? You know. 
Yeah, I mean, I think part of the UN really, you know, broadly is to continue to inspire hope and optimism and really look at how the convening power of the UN um, and, you know, all of the agencies, funds and programs and certainly special in initiatives such as ourselves at the UN Global Compact can really bring the right players around the table, you know, put the problem in the middle of the table and really see what this entire ecosystem can do. Um, now more than ever, I think it's, it's widely acknowledged that no one entity can solve the world's problems. So you need the UN working in partnership with government, with private sector and with civil society to, to really drive forward progress on, on these solutions. And um, as I said earlier, you know, for, for business, it really is an opportunity to see um, how business can, can come together with innovations, go faster and further, and, and, and demonstrate really solution, solution finding for these challenges. And, and what do you think about, so you, so you sort of started out saying the opportunities, the business opportunities, and I, I know that the co-chair of the UN Global Compact, Paul Pullman, said that the, the sustainable development goals are the, the, you know, the largest business plan or business opportunity of over time. But, but how was the reaction to the corona crisis in your membership um, because I think also in the UN Global Compact Norway office, we, we thought perhaps you're going to lose out members. Uh, mm -hmm. What's going to happen now? Are they closing down? What, what have the response to these two crises been? You, mm. you said that a business opportunity in crisis, but could you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, on a, I mean, on a very practical level, you know, um, when the cr when the, the pandemic hit, um, the Global Compact, I think, as did, did many other uh, you know, business organizations and certainly private sector expect a, a shrink or a certainly a slowdown in activities. But, you know, contrary to that, our membership has grown at the highest rate quarter on quarter. During the pandemic period, we also see that trickling down into some of our local networks. I know certainly yours in Norway also has, uh, uh, has experienced some unprecedented growth. So what does that mean? I, th I think, you know, our view is that now more than ever, businesses are seeing that our principles and, and a lot of the work that we do really helps provide, I'll call them guardrails or, or safety rails in, in terms mm. of crisis. Um, what do businesses need to have as a strong foundation uh, to build their resiliency through crisis? And as we've always said for us, you know, the 10 principles are really a foundation for strong, resilient and sustainable business. So if your business is, is forward looking and forward leaning on issues such as human rights, um, labor, uh, the environment and climate and anti-corruption, you know, you certainly will be able to weather a lot of the economic, political or other storms that have happened from time to time. So for us, it was a good, I think, recognition that, that what we stand for still makes sense and it has business resonance, even in times of crisis, which is when you really want to be able to test your principles. And I think, you know, over this period, the continued question that I've heard more from business leaders, uh, large and small alike, is how. So, yeah. you know, the, the ambition, the, the, the Before need... Before you go into the how, I just mm -hmm. want to challenge you one thing, because mm -hmm. sometimes we get the question, so so you have these 10 principles, but then you also have the, uh, of the UN Global Compact adopted by General Assembly, and then, then you have the, the UN guiding principles uh, for human rights and business, and then you have the SDGs, and, and some of the listeners are wondering, so how, what does the... Why do you think the 10 principles are still relevant and what are the relations to the others? Perhaps uh, you can elaborate a bit on that before we go into the how. Right. And I, I fully appreciate this, you know, um, 
you know, from the UN perspective, there's lots of principles and, and you know, normative frameworks and, 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 and guidance that we provide. But I'd, I'll keep it simple. I'd like to say that I believe the 10 principles are the what, you know, what must business aspire to do? What must business uphold? Uh, as you know, they were, they were elaborated or articulated in the year 2000. Um, when 2022, we still believe that they are, you know, relevant to business and, and provide a strong underpinning. The SDGs, perhaps for me, are the how, you know, how can I bring the 10 principles to life and where can I, I apply my business principles? Because as we said, they truly are business and investment opportunities. Um, I agree there's some more developmental uh, SDGs that perhaps are the unfinished business from the previous Millennium Development Goal framework. But certainly if you look at SDGs around clean energy, um, around um, addressing inequalities, around uh, climate action, around um, life underwater, those are business investment opportunities. So the what is the 10 principles. The how can I apply my business is the investment in the SDGs. And that's what brings it to life. But I guess also then the, the, the 10 principles, we, we assume they will... Uh, also um, be there um, after 2030, right? Because the Sustainable Development Goals, they have their end and there will be something new coming, but uh, the 10 principles will still be there and be the the, found, I mean the, the basis of the work the UN Global Compact and our companies are, are doing. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. But let's then go a bit into the, to, into the how um, mm -hmm. and your take on that, because there is also around that, there's so many things happening. You know, the, the partnerships are boosting the, 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 the narrative is bl blooming and, mm -hmm. and you know there's just so many things going on at the same time how how, how do you clean up in the in in, in the, the sustainability space. jungle yeah, <laughs> yeah so the how and, and when i first started saying it, i think what i hear from business leaders and i think which is really gratifying is people are no longer asking what you know what what should business be doing there's a growing recognition that respect for rights you know um uh, attention to one's environmental footprint you know doing good business and good governance are really important for business now. I, I think that's, a, you know, broadly a widely held um, a view. Um, the how, how do I do this? What are the tools? How do I drive this through my entire business? You know, what does success look like? How do I put this across an ecosystem? And I think one of the, the, the real um, advantages or what we see, the opportunities in the Global Compact is there's a number of businesses and business leaders that have been trailblazers and we can certainly learn lessons from and, and, and drive that forward. But in terms of the how and, and what we see and, and business innovation, I think it's been a remarkable set of years, crisis notwithstanding. We've seen partnerships unusual. We've seen business competitors come together to address pressing issues. I think we saw that in the pandemic. Um, we've seen businesses quickly uh, repurpose supply chains mm -hmm. and distribution lines to respond. We've seen businesses partner in a more nimble and agile way with the UN. Uh, you know, we've seen business leaders take positions. Do you have some uh, concrete examples on this, uh, Sandra? Because, um, uh, the, you know, yeah. our listeners, they're all from companies. And yeah. uh, do you have some really good examples you want to share? In in terms of uh, working within the within different the partnerships. Different yeah, partnerships. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, you know, I go, oh, gosh, off the top of my head, let me see if I recall. <laughs> but I think, you know, one of the key things and, you know, I recall a lot of uh, uh, companies that previously produced things such as uh, juice or ice cream, you know, a lot of consumables and, and fast moving consuming goods were very quickly able to shift their production lines and say, okay, well, look, we're going to use this to make um, sanitizer, you know, hand sanitizer and that sort of thing, and things that were relevant to um, to addressing the pandemic. Businesses that did clothing, you know, shifted their production lines to, to developing the PPEs, the, the protective gear that, you know, was used by many health workers in the pandemic. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, um, 
businesses share, you know, advertising or use shift their advertising to really address a lot of the public health messaging that happened. And, you know, when the pandemic struck, I was sitting in Nairobi, Kenya, my, my you know, my I come from Nairobi, so sitting in, in my home city and uh, across the world, we, we saw that happen, um, mm. you know, so it was really a, a fundamental recognition that business platforms and business um, distribution networks could be used to p- address the pandemic in a, mm. in a different way. So for me, I thought that was really striking. Um, and obviously, the, the pharmaceutical companies that, that were at the core, you know, did really act with speed to be able to deliver, you know, a much needed vaccine. Now, you know, I always say that it's, it's great to see how these partnerships um, can work during times of emergency. But imagine if we could partner like this all the time. Would we still have a lot of the developmental challenges that we face around delivering health, education, and and other things? Um, you know, how far and how fast would we be along issues such as the energy transition? How resilient would our food systems be if we could collaborate in in ways that were this unique? And I think, again, this crisis provides us the opportunity to see how we can reconfigure. Um, business and and deliver really on these important challenges. And I think these are two. I mean, in some areas, of course, the oceans are important for Norway, and but also the food system, bo- being it both blue and I mean uh, seafood and other food. We mm-hmm. tend to forget the seafood as part of food, right? Right. Um, this is one of the th- new and exciting uh, adventures, I would say, mm-hmm. that we are entering into now with um, the work that the uh, uh, Global Compact Norway is leading to get with some other large local networks, um, Global Compact in, in Brazil, um, where we are trying to convene some of the largest uh, 14 um, countries uh, for now and some of the largest actors such as um, uh, Nestle and, and uh, Nortura in the Norwegian context, but also open to all of you l- out there listening. <laughs> if yes. you want to more information, we are just in the very early days and scoping phase. Um, to, uh, but I've, I've had the pleasure, Sanda, to, to stay, uh, you know, discuss with you on the Bergensbane over the mountain to Bergen yes. for six hours. So we had some time and I, I got one sort of uh, looking, we, we discussed leadership mm-hmm. in sustainability. And, and your background in Safaricom, one of the leading companies of, of uh, Africa mm-hmm. and of Kenya. Um, you really told me about your CEO uh, and it was a very, I would say, very impressive story. And I think it is also leads up to one of the most Im- famous products of, of Safaricom, which is in Norwegian is called Vips, but it's mm-hmm. basically mobile cash, right? Yes. M- M-Pasa, I M-Pasa guess. M-Pasa, we call it, uh, yes. But, but couldn't you, could you please tell the listener about, you were many years in Safaricom, but you had a very inspirational CEO. And just, you know, just the, the whole, the way he was thinking about how to run, and together with you, of course, how to run... Um, a business and the role of business in society and in the the Kenyan uh, uh, society in this case. Would you repeat a bit of that story? Because I thought it was really fascinating and so inspiring. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, you know, uh, so prior to joining the UN Global Compact, I I worked in the private sector in Kenya and uh, I spent about 12 years uh, in a telecommunications company that you mentioned that's part of the Vodafone group. And uh, Safaricom, as it's called, was, you know, one of the leading African companies in terms of integrating the SDGs, really transforming its business model to one that was purpose-led, and really demonstrating that, as you mentioned, uh, Paul Pullman and uh, others have talked about, that the SDGs are a true business opportunity. And we articulated our overall success framework uh, through the SDGs. Um, You know, a great innovation in that regard. But I really have to, you know, 
uh, as you've said, give due, due respect and credit to my former CEO, uh, Bob Collymore. He uh, passed away a few years ago. But, but his vision at that point in time was that, you know, the purpose of a company really has to be more than simply the, the P&L. And that really, you know, purpose meant training your eye on what were really some of the key issues in the country where you work and amongst your citizens and then seeing how your business could address that. So Bob was very unique in that, you know, his, his concern was how do we use telco to address the inequalities that exist in Kenya, be it lack of access to education, to, to agriculture information, to financial inclusion, um, to, to access to, to governance and information. So then therefore, working in a telecommunications company, connecting people wasn't simply about talking, it was about providing access to many things. So with every data connection you sold, it was more about how is this going to help this customer get access to educational content or to agricultural content or how is mobile money going to help financially include people who were excluded from the banking system. So, you know, in every transaction that was done, there was always a higher purpose to it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we used to say, you know, do the right thing and, and, and the money will follow um, and the profits will follow. So the focus was on addressing the key need. And, uh, you know, true to, to our, our, our premise then, you know, the company was able to rise from, you know, level to level in terms of one, the number of customers it had and um, its positioning, both in terms of a brand and its broad partnerships and its innovation. But at the heart, I think we, we, we solved a lot of problems for, for Kenyan society that really challenged or addressed a lot of developmental issues that existed. But he also said that he turned off his phone in the afternoon, right? That was oh, yeah, that was, was an interesting detail, thing. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting thing because he, you know, he, was also, he also took a very, um, he's probably one of the most authentic people that I know. So we worked hard, but he was very key on preserving the humanness around who we were. Um, and, uh, you know, he says stuff like, yeah, I, I turn off my phone because I think it's important to connect. When I go home, I want to connect with my family. I want to do all the things that a regular person does. So he uh, was leading a telco, but he's asked the um, employees to turn off the phone. Yeah, he said, you know, get some rest, you know, disconnect because humanness is at the center of who we all are. And he was a deep believer in, in, in human relations, um, the importance of family, the importance of being grounded in, in also, you know, whatever was meaningful to you. And that you came to work as a as a whole being, not simply as a worker. And also then, therefore, if you looked at our workplace, it embodied a lot of things that we talk about that businesses should do. Um, you know, the workplace had had a crush. Again, one of the first uh, Kenyan or regional companies to do that. So we had a crush because we we're very clear that a lot of women what did one. A crush is a place where um, you can bring your kids if you have young kids, oh, but okay. you're a working mother and, you know, daycare is expensive. So it's sort of a kindergarten. Kindergarten, oh, yes, okay. yeah, without yeah. the education part, but more a play area. Yeah, because yeah. here we are, you're, you're a young, innovative company. You want talent, yeah? And you want talent that is both male and female. But you do recognize that a lot of the childcare burden in the country is, is carried by mothers. But you don't want to exclude mothers from the workplace. So what do you do? You say, fine, you can have a great and extended, you know, three months maternity leave, six months perhaps at a bit of a flexible rate. But you also have a great place where you can bring your kids to, to the office and they'll be cared for. And you can be upstairs doing your work and you can dash down and see your kid. And in that way, you support your workers to get the best out of life, both 
they want to contribute productively and they do want to, you know, um, you know, have a family, uh, raise a family, grow and contribute, you know. So a lot of this was how you look at the worker holistically. You know, we had in-house clinics and I have to say we partnered with UNICEF actually through the child-friendly policies on, on delivering issues such as the creche and in-house clinics and, and all of that. So as I say, it was about seeing the worker as a holistic being, exactly, not just yeah. someone that comes to work to contribute and to I your think this is, you know, this is one good example and we have many of them also in the Norwegian context, but I especially like the one of Telenor that provides six month maternal leave to all workers independently of the mm -hmm. the law in the, the country they Absolutely. are in. You know, so they are, have taken a decision that they will all get six months. I mean, of course, in Norway, it, it's between 10 and 12 months. Mm -hmm. So, but in Bangladesh or Pakistan, where they are big, uh, this is, of course, an important issue because they saw that many um, future mothers left work mm -hmm. when they were getting pregnant. Absolutely. So, so I think this is a core thing um, yeah. in, the, um, yeah. in this And topic, if I can yeah. pick up on something that you said, which really is, is something that we discuss a lot in the Global Compact, which is, you know, businesses may be headquartered in, in very progressive places, but I think the real challenge is how you extend the principles of your work through your supply chain and your value chains, because that's where I think you really get that transformative impact. So as you've talked about, you know, a business may be headquartered in a place, but how do you make sure that the principles exactly. around things such as, you know, um, workers' rights are extended even in areas where perhaps they may not be as, as uh, flexible or as free to do so? And I think that's when you really get to see the, the, the real force and impact that business can bring to bear through their supply chains and, and their footprints. I think this leaves us a good opportunity to to talk a bit about the future of the UN Global Compact. Sandra, you you came in um, just one uh, two years ago, or one just and a half under years. Two yeah. years yeah. yeah, yeah, right. It's somewhere in uh, between one and a half and two. two. June will be two years. Exactly, and and yeah. you have um, you were crucial, obviously, to the new strategy that we got uh, last year for the whole uh, UN Global Compact globally. Um, but of course, that you, you created that together with colleagues and all of us in in time of crisis, very sort of uncertain future. But I would like to challenge you now to what are your visions for the UN Global Compact? Because you are uh, just in a couple of years, um, but and you know now you're starting to know the Global Compact really from inside, right? So, so yeah. what is your long-term perspective for the yeah. organization? So a couple of things for me will, will always remain uh, critical. I think first of all that business. Um, has a broader role to play in society is, is really important. So I think it's, it's important. My vision would be a global compact that continues to grow. Uh, certainly with 16,000 members globally, it's, it's a, we have grown, but there's a lot more ground we can cover. Um, you know, across the world, there's opportunities for growth in so many ways. But I think we also need to grow with, with impact and be able to really demonstrate what the collective of business can do. There's a couple of key areas where I'd love to see, um, you know, the one global compact family, as we call ourselves, currently with 70 local networks and, and the 16,000 uh, businesses really um, apply themselves. One is to look at, uh, you know, the key pieces around the climate crisis, the energy crisis, uh, the agricultural crisis from a practical and programmatic perspective. But I think more importantly, also looking upwards is what is the advocacy policy and, and convening role that the Global Compact can play? Because I think that's when we see these big system shifts and these big challenges to, to, to policy, to engagement and to transformation when we can play that key convening role and bring together, you know, uh, key businesses, uh, governments, uh, the UN and civil society to really address societal problems. That's the second. The third and one I think that is really going to underpin uh, progress is how 
financing and how we can impact or sh- uh, sorry influence how financing is applied towards the SDGs. I think that is a really big one. We have a, a great and ambitious framework, but what will really cause that transformation is, is that if we can call upon our businesses, you know, investors, asset managers, asset owners, truly see how we can apply resourcing to deliver on the SDGs, because it won't happen without the adequate financing. And we do have significant financing within our bodies and within our partners. Um, not all of the financing, but a great start would be that alignment financially. And there is some great work going on in the UN Global Compact now on that, on the uh, from driven from the, the headquarters on on finance, but also in the different working streams. I would say on a new blue bond framework mm-hmm. that has been um, created. And of course, there are many of our members that have, you know, put out um, SDG or Sustainable Development Goals linked bonds, right? Absolutely. So, so I think there is a lot of things happening, and of course, also with the. EU taxonomy now being put into place. So, so that's an, an area that I guess we should have another podcast to talk about. Happy to do uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. now we are coming to an end for this uh, podcast. Okay. Uh, Sandro Jambo, thank you so much for uh, sharing all your views and thoughts around the future of business uh, and of the UN Global Compact, of course. Uh, to the listener, if you want to hear more um, podcasts, you know where to find us, fremtidensnaringsliv.no, or where you usually listen to podcasts. And there are also some other English-speaking podcasts, amongst others, with Paul Polman uh, and um, the, the chair of the chair of PRI, of uh, the Principles of uh, Investments, uh, Martin Skanke. So feel free to dig into the other podcasts. But with that, I say thank you to Sanda. Uh, and thank you to the listener for today. Great, thank you, Kim. Great to have had this conversation with you.